Hi there. How you doing? Happy Mother's Day. It's great to see you. Uh, a few months ago, I picked up my daughter from school. I normally drop my daughter off at school, and then my wife picks her up, but I surprised her. I picked her up, and she said, Bobby, can we go back to your office? And I said, yes, we can. So she spent the day with me there, and uh, when she was there, I have several things. I have several bookshelves in my office, but, and I usually have different things kind of piled in there. And one of the things that she saw was this dagger that I have. Um, uh, this dagger was a gift of, from a friend of mine who was visiting Yemen. And uh, so this, uh, she sees it and she says, Bobby, can I, can I see this dagger? And I said, yeah. So she, um, she takes it out and she's like, wow, this is an awesome dagger. Now, the thing you got to understand about these, the reason he got this for me is because in, uh, in Yemen, this is not, I mean, I don't even know if this thing could cut, you know, warm butter. I mean, it's, you know, this is not, oh, I think I just cut myself. All right. Uh, no. Um, so there's, this is not real sharp, um, but this is actually worn as an, all the men wear this as an accessory. So, you know, those of you guys that are wearing like, you know, any, whatever it is you wear as accessories, these guys like just start rocking the dagger. So I don't know if you wanted me to start a trend here in the States. It's just like, what? You know, uh, it's a great thing to wear right before you're going to uh, see a TSA agent at the airport. Um, but anyway, uh, so she sees it on there. And she's like, wow, that's an awesome that's an awesome sword. And then we talked about it for a minute, and that, and that was it. Um, so we, we were there at the office for another three, four, five hours. And um, we're driving home. My car needed gas. I stopped at the gas station. And then on a whim, I said, ah, oh, you know, the car's dirty. Let me just get pay the extra couple bucks for the car wash. So I go into the car wash area, and I punch in the numbers. And they said, okay, it says, you know, the, the machine says, okay, now proceed in. So I start proceeding in. And then there's a car leaving. Well, the car that's leaving stops and then puts their car in reverse so they can get like an extra five seconds of the little dryer that's going on. And uh, even though this guy's car looks like it just got back from Afghanistan, uh, it's about how well he's taken care of this vehicle. And uh, so anyway, then he leaves. I go in and because he backed up, it kind of messed up the whole system. So the whole thing was broken. And uh, so I'm like, you know, I did one of those. And, uh, and so my wife, my daughter is like, uh, Bobby, are you okay? And I'm like, you know, and because that's pretty much as that's as far as you can go as a Christian, you know, just, you know, it's when you get upset. Um, so anyway, so I got to come around, I got to get out of her out of the car seat. I got to get, uh, out of the car. I got to go inside. I got to tell them what happened. I got to get the refund. Then I got to get back into my dirty car, which is the other issue. So I get back in the car and me, I can tell I'm frustrated. And she's like, Bobby. Why did that mean guy do that? And I said, um, because Mia, he's not very smart. And uh, there's a lot of people in this world that aren't smart. And that's lesson number one for today. Uh, there's a lot of people that aren't smart. And, um, and so she goes, and she says, uh, Bobby, do you want to go to get your sword so you can fight that guy? And, um, and I thought for a minute, and then I thought, you know, I thought I, there's a good parenting moment right here. Right here in my grasp is a good parenting moment. And I thought, um, Mia, instead of stabbing him with a sword, by the way, not a bad idea, um, we should pray for him instead. And uh, so she says, well, why don't we pray for him right now? And I said, okay. And so I pray, you know, God, I pray for that guy that's not very smart at all. And Lord, he needs you desperately because he's not bright. And, um, and then Mia says, 
well, Poppy, can I pray too? And I said, yeah. And so she prays and she says, and God, I pray that you change my heart. And I'm like, oh, it's like one of these amazing moments that you have with your daughter, you know, when, when she learns that prayer is better than homicide, you know, it's like, it's a special moment. It's a special moment. And, um, and so then, um, so we get back and everything's fine. The next day, my wife picks up my daughter from school and uh, she's driving down, she's on the highway, uh, she's on I-75 and she gets cut off. I mean, like majorly cut off in a way that only people who drive in Miami can appreciate that kind of cutoff. And then uh, she swerves out of the way and she's like, ah, you know, like one of those, you know, kind of things. And Mia from all the way in the back, you know, and she's like, mommy, call Poppy and he will kill that guy with his sword. And, you know, so it didn't really work. So I told, Carrie told me the story and I said, you know, she gets that violent streak from you. Um, Cause I'm a fun loving soul. And, um, but I don't know if you know this, um, if you're a parent, but those kids that you have, those kids that I have, are reflections of us. As much as we, they do stuff and we're like, where did they get that? Uh, or how did they do this? Where did they get the idea for that? They are a reflection of us. And not, they don't, listen, your kids, my kids, they don't just look like us. Uh, those kids, they, they, they talk like you, they talk like me. You know, your kids walk like you, like my kids walk like me. They stand like us. They sigh. They laugh. They even sleep like us. I have this thing. I don't know why. I kind of sleep on my left side with my arm up, but it doesn't matter how it works. By the middle of the night, I'll be on my back like this, like I'm being held up at a convenience store. Um, my kids get, go to sleep on their side like this. Wait, middle of the night, you go see them and they're like this, held up at the convenience store. I mean, it's just, it's just what they do. And I don't, I don't it's like, no, there was no training session. Like I never scheduled an appointment with them saying, all right, guys, we're going to learn how to sleep. You know, there was never that. It was just, this is how it is. You know, this is, they're just, there's something that came from me that somehow transferred to them that somehow now they sleep like I sleep. I get home and some, usually I get home and it's, uh, my wife is still uh, cooking dinner. And so I'll get home and I will, uh, my wife usually has this, you know, like holds, because I've been doing this forever. I'll get home and I'll open the drawer in the fridge and there'll be some cheese there. And I'll just grab like, you know, one or two pieces of cheese to kind of tide me over until dinner's ready. And, um, and, and then what I'll do is I just kind of lean up, I'll take the two pieces of cheese and I'll just start talking to Kier. Um, and, and we'll just talk about our day or whatever. And I'm leaning up against the, the kitchen counter. Well, my kids, I know, but once again, this is never, there's never been a training session. I never gave them a manual. Um, I just, but those kids right behind me, they open the drawer. They each here's a piece of cheese. Here's a piece of cheese for me. They close the door and then they lean up against the, the kitchen counter and they eat the cheese the same way. I eat the cheese leaning up against the same counter that I'm leaning up against. And I look and it's like we started a little gang right here. We'll take some people out if we have to. And, uh, and here's the thing, is that if you were in my house, I wouldn't have to tell you that they're my kids. You could just observe what they do, and their actions would answer that question for you. You see, and this is kind of what brings up the question and what we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about today. Is that if following your kids would show me, I, they, wouldn't, I wouldn't even, they wouldn't have to tell me that they're your kids, but just by knowing you... I could watch them and know, hey, they're, they're, your, they're your kids because of what they do and how, what they say and how they say it. Listen, in the same way, how about this? 
how would people know that we are children of God? How would people know that we are Christians? How would people know that God has transformed our lives? I mean, sure, we could say it, but what if we didn't say it? Could people see it just based on not just what we said, but how we said it, not just what we did, but how we did it? Jesus, in his most famous sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, gives us these eight contrarian statements about how to be happy and experience life to the fullest. Because every single one of us is looking for happiness. Every single one of us is looking for life to the full. And so Jesus shows us not only how to be happy, but he shows us this and he says to us, hey, happiness is available, but I want to tell you something. It's in the most unlikely of places. In fact, the the one we're going to look at today is the sixth of the eight. Uh, And it's in your notes. It says this. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That is that those who pursue peace and those who make peace will actually be called children of God. We would know we people will look on at us if we are those who make peace and pursue peace. And people will say, yeah, they must be connected to God somehow. Why? Because they are serious about this thing of making peace. Now, as we get started, I want to share with you two things about being a peacemaker that sometimes get misunderstood. And if I can, let's let me um, just give you these two things and then we'll get into the story that I want to tell you this uh, this morning. The first is this, if you're taking notes, and that is that peacemaking is not peacekeeping. Peacemaking is not peacekeeping. Peacemaking assumes being a peacemaker assumes that there is conflict that needs to be resolved. And in many homes, there, listen, listen, I know it's Mother's Day and I know there's a lot of families here, but I think we would agree that in many homes there's this underlying level of conflict and, and you know, that sometimes it's like this powder keg and we don't want to do anything to upset that because we want to, watch what we do, we want to keep the peace. Listen, if there's something explosive that's going to happen, if any kind of conflict ever gets confronted, you aren't keeping the peace. Uh, you, you know, you aren't you aren't making peace. You're trying to simply uh, keep the peace or not disturb what you would call the peace in some way. Being a peacemaker assumes that there's a level of conflict and it seeks to resolve it in a godly way. And Jesus is not talking about you got to understand it. He's not talking about peace at any cost. He's talking about um, listen, when in one of the stories people think, you know, uh, Jesus was this, such a mild-mannered guy. You know, there was this one point in time that Jesus saw this injustice going on in the temple, in the house of God. And so he walked over and he made a whip. I don't know how long it takes to make a whip, but you don't make a whip to not whip somebody. Um, but he just like, it's just that he's there and he makes the whip. And then you know what he does? He starts whipping people. And then you know what he does? He starts turning over tables, starts going nuts. And he starts telling people that my father's house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it what? A den of thieves. That there was an injustice. There was sometimes, and this is the thing that he's saying, there's conflict that needs to happen so that there will ultimately be peace. And that's why peacemakers are blessed because they pursue peace. That even though they say there has to be conflict, at some point in time, there's conflict, but then there will be peace. The second thing is this, is that peacemaking is more than just the absence of conflict. It's more than just the absence of conflict. The Hebrew word, many of you know for peace, is the word shalom. But shalom in a Hebrew world is more than just the absence of conflict. It's bigger than that. 
Shalom is about wholeness in your life as much as it is about the absence of conflict. Uh, It's about peace of mind as much as it is about our lives not being in pieces. Um, And I put this verse in your outline in Romans chapter 8. It says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. So worry in, in in the New Testament Greek, you know, this idea of worry, it has this idea of a divided mind. So it's, it, the, the, our mind is divided. There's no peace even internally. Shalom is the exact opposite. Shalom is wholeness and peace. And so what, what takes place is um, the passage that we read, it says that when the Spirit controls our mind, listen, it's life. When we're divided, it's death. And so this idea of shalom is what God wants to work in your life and in mine. It's about being at peace with yourself. It's about being at peace with God. It's about being at peace with your surroundings and the people in your life. And even if there isn't peace, it's seeking the peace. And so what I want to do is illustrate that by telling you a story uh, from the Old Testament and what what it looks like to be a peacemaker. It's a story of a guy by the name of Asa. Uh, Asa was the king of Judah. He was a descendant of King David. He, there, there was constant war in the kingdom before and after his reign. But during his reign as king, there was peace. And I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I read this and I'm like, well, why was there peace in Asa's reign? And there was nothing but conflict before and nothing but conflict after. And the reason is, is because God gave him three directives. Three directives that not only changed the course of his life, but changed the course of an entire nation. And I honestly believe has the ability to impact your life as well. And these three directives are the things that can bring peace to a heart that's filled with anxiety. It can bring uh, peace to a house that's filled with turmoil. It can bring peace to a relationship that's just burdened with conflict. And it can bring peace to a life that is filled with fear and doubt. What is it? Well, check out, uh, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. So if you want to open your Bible there, if you have your Bible app, you can open to that. At 2 Chronicles 15, we're going to read the first few verses. Here's what it says. It says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel. He sought them and he was found by them. And in those times, there was no peace to the one who went out or to the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the land. And so nation was destroyed by nation and city by city. For God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong. Do not let your hands be weak. For your work shall be rewarded. Now if you pause there and give me your attention. Here's, there's three things that I want to show you that, of these directives that God gives to Asa that I think are so important for us if we want to find peace in whatever circumstance that we're in. The first is this, is that peace is knowing that God is with me. It's knowing God is with me. 
Asa is given the, given the most challenging job in this country, and that is the position of king. But not just the position of being king, but he has to restore peace to a nation where everyone is living in fear. In fact, the phrase that's used is, there is great turmoil to everyone who goes out, to everyone who comes in. That is, if you're living there and you're headed out, turmoil. If you're just visiting, there's turmoil. And so the promise that Asa is given is that if he will seek the Lord, the Lord will answer him and give him direction to make the right choices. You see, sometimes, and this is what makes this idea of being a peacemaker that Jesus is talking about so contrarian to what we might think. And the reason is, is because a lot of times when we look for peace, we say, oh, you know, I want peace in my life. What we're looking for is an already peaceful environment. So it's like, oh, I want peace. So I'm going to take the do not disturb sign, hang it on the outside of my door, and now there needs to be peace. When in reality, that's not what being a peacemaker is all about. Being a peacemaker assumes that there is a level of conflict that needs to be resolved that you're already walking into. A peacemaker walks into an area where there is conflict and creates peace. Jesus modeled this for us. I put this in your notes in... Uh, It's in the Gospel of Mark. Let me read you this couple of verses quickly. It says, And now when they had left the multitude, they also took him along in the boat as well. And the other little boats followed with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And they said to, and he said, he, Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? You see, it's amazing that these trained fishermen, these are guys who have been fishermen their whole lives, they get into this storm and they are like, we are not making it out of this alive. Jesus is in the belly of the uh, boat and they kind of take him out. Hey, we're, we're perishing. Jesus comes out and he says one word, peace, be still. And what was once tumultuous is now peaceful. And the point is this, is that, the, is that God's word has the ability to bring peace in conflict. But can I tell you this, that sometimes we're conflicted internally and, and, and sometimes we don't know what to do and we're torn as to which direction to go in. And, and listen, sometimes um, it, we, we do it. it it's not, sometimes it's not even like, well, I could, you know, do something really, really bad or I could do something really, really good. Hmm, what should I do? You know, uh, should I join this nonprofit organization that's helping people or join the mafia? I'm really not sure which. Um, and, and so we're, you know, that's most of the time, those aren't the decisions that we have to make. Most, most of the time, um, sometimes we have to make decisions and they're both good. I mean, what do we do then? I have two opportunities. You have two job offers. There's two homes that are available. You're going to buy a car and there's two possibilities. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a conflict and there's two possible outcomes that we could choose that, that could settle this thing and we don't know what to do. And then that's when we wonder, I mean, what do I do? 
I mean, how do I get this, this thing to work out? I mean, I want to do the right thing, but I'm not really sure what the right thing is. And then this is where the storm brews, but the storm is brewing internally. And we're like, man, I just, I want God to speak to me. I want God to show me, and I'm not sure what I should do. And listen, those are the moments that we're asking God to lead us. And listen, those are the moments that God will bring, like he brought to Asa, this guy named Azariah, who said, hey, this is what God wants to, to do in your life. God wants you to bring peace where there's turmoil. Well, how do I do that? He says, hey, God's with you. And as long as you're with him, as long as you're seeking him, as long as you're pursuing him, listen, then there will be peace. Um, when I was graduating from college, I had some opportunities. When I graduated from college, it was about 800 years ago, it feels like. Um, but I had these different opportunities as to what I could do. And um, one was an opportunity to be a worship leader uh, at a church. The other was uh, to start a Bible college in another country. And I, I mean, both offers came to me. People approached me. Hey, we'd love for you to do this. And um, uh, within probably about three months of each other, and I was, you know, I don't know what to do and what should I do. And the worship leader offer came first. So I get a phone call from um, a pastor that I really respect um, who was a friend of a, one of my professors in college. And he said, hey, I told this pastor about you. And, and I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, he wants to talk to you. And so he offers me this opportunity to go be a worship leader. He just started a church. Uh, and he's like, I want you to come and be our worship leader. And I'm like, okay, where did you go? Uh, and he says, well, it's, it's in Maui. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's in Maui. And I'm like, all right. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, so I, I get and I tell him I'm going to pray about it. But I mean, come on, who prays about Hawaii? And uh, and, I, and I tell I tell uh, Carrie, I get home, I tell my wife, Carrie, I'm like, hey, great news. She says, what? I'm like, God has called us to Hawaii. She's like, how do you know? And I'm like, because you don't say no to Hawaii. You just say thank you and move there. And um, and so I, <laughs> I, I I mean, she's like, well, we should pray about it. I'm like, well, let's pray as we're packing. And uh, and then, you know, we'll. See what happens. And, um, but, you know, we did end up praying. And, um, and what happened was is that I realized that I really felt called to teach the Bible. Even though I had a background in music and been in bands and all that stuff. And I really felt like this very strongly was what God had called me to do. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm not really sure. How do you call a guy in Hawaii and tell him no? I don't think this ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, so I call him and I'm like, Hey, um, first, can you tell me what the weather is? It's 75 and beautiful. Like it is every day here in Hawaii. And you'll see when you come out, yeah, about that, Uh, you know, and then you weep and whatever. Well, I didn't go. The second opportunity, um, was to go and start this Bible college. And the idea was we were going to start a Bible college and then we were going to train up these guys and we were just going to start planting churches everywhere. And that was kind of the whole plan. And then the, but the Bible college was going to be in Liberia. And um, so we were going to plant this Bible college in Liberia and then we were going to plant churches all over Liberia and then plant hundreds of churches all over the continent of Africa. And, uh, and I, was, I was really excited about the vision of doing this. And I'm like, yeah, I like it. Let's, I mean, let's re- we're, my wife and I were really praying about it. And, um, and, and some friends of mine, I mean, just like, you know, the thing is, is that you can't listen to everybody who, you know, comes to you and gives you their advice. But, you know, what you're looking for is people who love God and love you and have your best interests uh, at heart. And I had some, somebody come up to me, a great friend of mine, 
And he said, hey, you're praying about this, and I'm praying for you, but can I just share a couple things about you that you may not realize about yourself? And I said, sure. And he said, um, you know, you only drink bottled water because you're convinced that city water is polluted. And, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, it's because it is. And he goes, yeah, and you're going to move to Africa. That's, that's the plan here? Well, that's what I'm thinking about. Okay, when we go to eat pizza... Um, you take a napkin and you clean the plate because apparently the dishwashers back there haven't done a good enough job. And you're looking at moving to Africa. Is that what I'm hearing? Um, you know, you're a slight germaphobe um, and you're going to live in a hut essentially um, where, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that the germs are going to line the walls. Um, and uh, and you're, you're going to go with that. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I'll bring my own water and I'll bring my own plates. And, uh, and, I'm, and listen, and he's like, unless you're going to be the boy in the bubble over there, this isn't going to work out. And uh, you're going to create a separation between you and the people that are there. And you're not going to have a fruitful ministry. And so you may want to think about going here because I don't know if this is how God has really wired you up. And, uh, and, and, and it, was, it was a weird, you know, because you kind of think you know yourself and you kind of get excited about something. And then you realize like, that is like the exact opposite. You know, these conditions are the exact opposite of the world I create um, for, you know, for, for myself. And, and, um, and then for a couple other reasons, we decided to pass on that opportunity. And I'll be honest with you, when I pass on those opportunities, I'm like, these are the only two opportunities I'm ever going to have in my life. And I can't believe that I'm saying no. And, uh, and sure enough, little did I know behind the scenes, the college that I had graduated from, were looking for, they were looking for someone to be an executive director of the, of the college. And... I, uh, you know, I, I was, I had no idea that this was happening from the, t- from the time that I'd gotten that first opportunity, my name had already been kicked around several times about who was going to be the guy who's going to be the executive director of this college. And when I had said no to those opportunities, that's what prompted them to come and say, Hey, we want you to run and, 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 and be the, you know, the spearhead of this, of this college and this movement. And listen, I spent four and a half very fruitful years at this at this college where there was some turmoil and, and God by his grace allowed me to come in there and bring peace and the school began to prosper and do well until we came here and started Calvary. And so the whole thing is this, is that sometimes it's when a friend can come in and give clarity and uh, it helps us make a, great, a, a much better choice than the choice that, that we would have made. And so Asa is told to seek the Lord and the turmoil would be turned to peace. And this is the, the, this is the important thing. In, in Proverbs chapter 3, it says this. I put it in your notes. It says, My son, do not forsake my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So what happens next in the story? Look at verse 8. I'll show you what happens. It says, And so Asa heard the words of the prophecy of Oded the prophet. He took courage and removed the abominable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin, from the, uh, and from the cities which they had taken from the mountains of Ephraim, he restored the altars of the Lord before the vestibule of the Lord, and he gathered together all Judah and Benjamin, those who dwelt in them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon. Basically, everybody comes out, um, comes over to him in great numbers to, from Israel, and they saw when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem. In the the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time 700 bulls, 7,000 sheep from the spoil that they had brought. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God 
of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to tell you. And that is this, that peace is seeking God's face. It's seeking God's face. God tells Asa, here's what I want you to do. There's turmoil, but I want you to be a peacemaker. And he does some very courageous things and tears down some idols. And then everyone in the, in the end of this says, hey, let's all get together and we're going to agree that we're going to seek God. And listen, when we say that we're going to seek God, that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect because we live in a broken world. But it means that even in the midst of seeking God, that God is going to direct us along the way. So even if we take a misstep and we say, God, I thought I was hearing you correctly, but I missed. Then listen, God is going to bring people. And even if we do even ignore the people and make a misstep, that God will say, hey, will lovingly redirect us back to where he wants us to go. Because, listen, um, sometimes we have this idea of seeking God and hearing God. And it's like so it's like impossible. Um, it's kind of like when I play hide-and-go-seek with my kids. Uh, I have three kids, five, uh, two. He's, my son will be three in July and um, uh, four-month-old. But when my older two kids and I play hide-and-go-seek, it's hilarious. Um, and we, ha- we, I, I, we laugh so much. And the reason is, is because um, the kids don't really like playing hide-and-seek as much as they like be- playing hide-and-found. Uh, because they, what they like is being found. And so... They what the kids do is that um, they help me find them because they want to be found because they think it's hilarious to actually be found. So my daughter only really hides in three places. She hides under the bed, behind the door or in the closet. That's it in her room. She hasn't really thought about going to a different room in the house. Um, and so she uh, so I will walk in and then she'll she'll help. So I'll walk in the room. And, uh, and I'll kind of walk around and I'll go, hmm, I don't see anyone in here. I'm going to go check in the kitchen. And then I'll start taking steps out and she'll go, you're getting colder. And then I'll, I'll, start to, I'll take a couple steps back, back in the room towards her bed. And she'll go, you're getting warmer. And then she'll say, you should bend down now. And then I'll bend down and then she's, ah, you found me. How did you find me? You know, and that's her thing. And then my son, um, he has a totally different strategy. His is just increasing the intensity of the laughter. So my son starts to hide and, he, you know, he's two. And so he'll, he hides in the closet every time. So all you got to do is open the closet and there he is. So he'll close up. He'll, he'll close. Up. I'm like, boy, where's Xander? He, 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 he. Boy, could he be in his room and I start making noise or banging on stuff? And, he goes, and then I start banging on the closet. And then I open the door. You know, I mean, and the thing is, is that we just did this like three minutes ago, you know, and this is like, you know, we've done. And every time we do it, it's the same thing. Now, here's the point. Sometimes we think that like, listen, God wants us to find him. God is not doing some divine version of where's Waldo, you know, um, be, but see, listen, and you say, but aren't there moments that it's a little harder to hear God a little harder to see what God is doing? Yes. But listen, that's not God playing hard to get. That's God that there are moments that God will allow us that, that there, it will take a little more intensity, a little more seeking 
Because in those moments of intensity and then those moments of diligent seeking, God is going to use those moments to stretch us, to make us more than we actually are for the next, to prepare us for the next season of life. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, it says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. Listen, can I... One of the things that happens is sometimes we miss out on God's peace because we haven't really sought Him. We haven't sought Him. Asa understood this principle. Uh, His grandfather was a guy named Rehoboam. In fact, his great-grandfather is a guy named Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. Uh, Solomon, uh, when he died, turned the kingdom over to, to Asa's grandfather, whose name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam was such a poor leader that he actually divided the kingdom in half. And what, um, what he was left with was what was called the southern kingdom of Judah, which consisted of two tribes. And then the ten northern tribes became the nation of Israel. And then the two southern tribes were, were the, the nation of Judah. But listen to what it says. This is, this is the legacy of Rehoboam, the grandfather of uh, Asa. Here's what it says. King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now, Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king and reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama the Ammonitess, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And what was the end result of Rehoboam's leadership? War and conflict. He had conflict in his kingdom and it was divided. Conflict with his leaders and they were divided. Conflict within his family. Conflict even within himself internally. Why? Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And listen, when when we decide to not uh, seek God in, in whatever circumstance we're in, we open ourselves up to a world of hurt. And Asa doesn't just say that he's going to seek the Lord, but he actually does. Seek the Lord. And then there's peace in his country. The entire nation says, let's all seek God. And listen, this is, I think, an important point for us to note. And that is, um, maybe the, the, the push for us a little bit is, I mean, are we seeking God? Not saying that we're seeking God, but are we really seeking God? Because sometimes, listen, I think all of us uh, are guilty of this, for, for um, all of us, for, for one, one time or another. And that is, that sometimes we want the benefits of knowing God without knowing God himself. You know, like everybody wants to be happily married, but are we willing to center our marriages on the gospel and deny ourselves like Jesus modeled for the sake of our spouse? It's like, well, I want the happy part, but I don't know if I want that other part. It just sounds rough, but can I just get the, the, the end part? You see, we want God to bless our career, but I mean, are we willing to work? This is what the Bible says, as unto the Lord. You work like Jesus is your boss, even if you're convinced your boss is demon possessed, right? You say, well, but all right, but, but if you, but, okay, but if I do what I'm supposed to do, then God, God will bless it. We want to be happy, but are we willing to do the contrarian things that Jesus says in these Beatitudes that will actually bring happiness? Because the things that he's asking, listen, we've, if you've been here for a while, we've talked about this. The things that Jesus asks in these Beatitudes are contrary to what we would do. They're contrary to what comes natural to us. Loving when we want to hate. Forgiving when we want revenge. 
Showing humility when pride wants to creep up. Doing the right thing even when it's hard. Listen, these things do not happen by accident. They happen when we're intentional. When we seek God and as we seek Him, He brings peace where there was turmoil. And I want you to see at the very end of this story. Look at uh, all the way at the end in verse 19 of Second uh, Chronicles 15. Here's what it says. After they commit themselves, Asa commits himself, the people commit themselves. It says this, and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. The last point in your outline, and that is that peace is the fruit of knowing God. Peace is the fruit of knowing God. The Bible says this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and all the rest. You see, and that's the result of seeking and obeying God. The Bible says this in uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4. I put it in your notes. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to think about what that verse means. I think the best explanation that I have of, of this verse is uh, something that happened to me about eight or nine years ago. Let me show you this picture if I can. Those of you who've been around here for a while, you, I've shown this picture like 800 times. Those of you that are here for the first time, this is the first time I'm ever showing this. Okay. Uh, about eight or nine years ago, I met President Carter at Disney World, uh, which is just kind of an interesting place to meet people. Um, but, but I met President Carter and uh, right outside of, you know, the, uh, you know, Mickey's PhilharMagic, if you're familiar with that, in uh, Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom. And, you know, afterwards, you're supposed to take the glasses and put them back. You'll notice that the former president stole his pair of glasses. And uh, so I don't know what that says about his policies while he was in office, but either way, he stole the glasses. And um, but here's the thing that's funny about when I met him is that I saw him and uh, I walked over to him and I was just about to say something to him. And out of nowhere, like five Secret Service guys, whoo, I mean, just like came right up on me, right in my face. Like, what do you want? And I'm like, I, and I don't know why I did it like this. And I'm like, oh, I want to know if I could take a picture with the president. But I go, I go, I want to know if I can take a picture with the president. Like, apparently doing this to a former president is frowned upon. And uh, like, not the, my brightest moment. And uh, so I'm like, I would like to take a picture with the president. And then um, they turn around. Okay, okay, fine. One picture. And so then, like, who's going to take the picture? I'm like, oh, my friend here. They take his camera, inspect it, you know, to make sure it's not going to explode or something. No, it's, you know, anyway, here. Uh, so I take the, I, you can take that off, by the way. Uh, I take the picture with him. Um, and listen, now here's the point. The point is this. Uh, and anyway, everything turned out great. Now I have a great story to tell. But, but this, is the, this is the point that I make with God's peace. The Bible says this, that uh, don't, Worry about anything, instead pray about everything. The word worry, that word worry, literally in uh, the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, means to be strangled. And that, that's what worry does. It strangles us. But here's what happens. When I decide not to worry, but instead I cast all of my cares upon God, here's what takes place. It says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our heart. Guard our heart. So just like the Secret Service is, is guarding this president, that now when I decide to cast my cares on God, my worry, my anxiety, the turmoil, all this, God, take it. 
then when that stuff wants to come and strangle me, I've got something that now stands between me and it. The peace of God. That the peace of God which surpasses understanding. That it's like we can't even figure it out. That there are moments that we should be freaking out, but we're not. Why? Because the peace of God that surpasses understanding is guarding us. That it should be, it's mind-blowing. We should be completely falling apart, but we're not. Why? Because the peace of God that surpasses understanding is guarding us. And that we can cast our cares upon Him. And here's what the Bible says, because He cares for us. See, the Bible talks about two different kinds of peace. What we've been talking about is the peace of God. But see, the Bible also talks about peace with God. But the peace with God comes before you get the peace of God. Uh, what, is the pe- what is peace with God? Let me read it to you. It says it this way. It says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, this may sound shocking to some, but those of you um, that have you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you've invited Jesus Christ into your life. Here's here's the the thing is that um, before becoming a Christian, you didn't have peace with God. In fact, you were at odds with God because our sin, all of us, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standards, standards. All of uh, us are in opposition to God because of our sin. And that's why many of us haven't experienced peace in our lives. But listen, that's why Jesus Christ came into the world. While we were still at odds with him because of our sin, he didn't leave us in that condition. Instead, what he did was he sent his son into the world who died on a a brutal death on a cross. He was buried and everyone thought it was game over. But then three days later, he came back to life. He rose from the dead, proving that he's God and proving that he could forgive your sin and mine. And listen, maybe you're here today and you might think partially that you're here because your mom dragged you to church because it's Mother's Day and you can't refuse your mom on Mother's Day. Um, But listen, maybe the reason that you're here is because there's there's some peace lacking in your life. There's turmoil. There's pain. There's problems. There's unrest and you don't know why. And listen, I want to tell you, the reason is because you haven't made peace with God. That this is where peace begins. And so we're going to close in just a moment. But as we do, I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus to come into your life, to have him forgive you because of his work on the cross. Now listen, that these, this is the thing that brings peace with God. And inviting Jesus into your life, here's what it brings. It also brings the peace of God. You see, sometimes... We can be in environments like this, and, and it's not because things are going bad, but things are going well. On the outward, I mean, we're to be envied because things are going so well, but internally it feels very empty. And listen, can I tell you this, that that's by design? That God created us, and that everything that we try to fill our lives with that is not God actually doesn't satisfy Because the only thing that satisfies us is a relationship with God. See, maybe life hasn't turned out the way that you've hoped. Maybe something bad, maybe something terrible has happened. Can I I tell you this? That God even uses things like that. 
that what the enemy intends for evil, God can actually turn for good. That in the lowest moments of our lives, that God can actually take that and then have that be the catalyst that causes us to turn to Him and come to Him, receive His forgiveness, receive peace with God and the peace of God as well. Maybe, maybe you're here and maybe you grew up in a home where you were taught about the Lord. But at some point in time, you walked away. And there's, I mean, and you don't talk about this, but I mean, there's some guilt that you feel. And every time you're about to step into this, whatever it is that you do and you know it's wrong, there's this moment, but you do it anyway. And then there's this kind of guilt and you're like, man, I just, I feel terrible. And what is that? And yet you're, you're here in this place and, and you're like, man, well, but see, some people do things wrong and they don't know better, but I knew better. What hope is there for me? Can I tell you this? From what the Bible says that God will come running if you're ready to come to him. The story of the prodigal son when this kid had spent his inheritance. He wished his father dead. He was he had spent all of his inheritance on wild living. And then he wanted to come back and didn't think his father would accept him. He found a sight that he never thought he would see. His father running towards him. And he came to his father. His father kissed him and embraced him. And he said, this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. See, this is that kind of moment where if you say, is there any hope for me? Then here's my answer to you. Yes, there is. That God is waiting. That God will come running if you'll take a step in his direction. That the Bible says that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you because he loves you, because he's waiting for you, because he sent his son to die for you. And listen, this, this is your moment. This is your moment. So if you're ready, I'm going to pray for you. And I want to see God do a great work in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for every heart that's here. I thank you, Lord, that you want to bring peace. Peace in our lives, peace from our past, peace in our future because you're the God of peace. And so, Lord, those who haven't experienced peace with you, Lord, they want to call out to you. And so, God, I pray that this would be the moment that they would, that you would hear, that you would answer, and that you would begin a, a transformation in them. Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, as we're praying together, maybe you would say, Pastor Bob, you're talking to me. I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to come to the Lord. I'm ready to ask Jesus to forgive me of all that I've done. I want peace with God of God. Listen, as we're praying together, if that's you and you're ready, can you just lift your hand and I want to pray for you if you're ready. See your hands there. God bless you. 
say, I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want him to forgive me. I want him to be my savior. If you're ready, just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. So your hands on the side there, hands on the center. Hands on the other side, blessings to you. Hands all the way in the back, all the way in the back, blessings to you. Yeah, God bless you. God wants to do a work. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for hands that are lifted that represent hearts that are open. And Lord, my prayer for them is as they make a decision to follow you, that you would answer in such a radical, tangible way that we would never be the same. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being, for bringing peace where there's turmoil. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, in a moment, the band's going to play. And as they do... Um, Here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Those of you that lifted a hand, those of you that want to make a decision to follow Jesus, as the band plays, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. It's a bold step, no doubt. But every disciple that Jesus called, he called publicly. There were no secret disciples. There were no backroom disciples. There were only public disciples, public followers of Jesus. And so in the moment when the band's going to play, I'm going to invite you to get up out of your seat and come forward. And we're going to meet here at the edge of this stage, you and I. And we're going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that my older brother led me in almost 20 years ago. It's not a magic formula. But I do know this, is that 20 years ago, that prayer was what my heart wanted to express to God, but I didn't have the words. And so now, I want to, I'm going to invite you, when you come forward, to pray that prayer and watch God do a work as you invite him into your life. Listen, this is, of all days, the best day to make this choice, to invite Jesus Christ into your life, to ask him to save you, to forgive you, to set your feet on a new path, because that's why he died. So I'm going to invite you. band's going to play. Stand up, come forward. We're going to meet here and pray together. Mark, lead us. And everyone needs compassion, love that's never failed. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. I made this decision to follow Jesus I was in my brother's kitchen he shared the gospel with me and my wife was there we were dating at the time and she turned to me and she said um, Bob I love you but 
even if you don't do this, I have to do this. God is calling me to do this, to invite Jesus to come into my life and for me to follow him. And I know this, I, was, I, I thought I was ready, but I knew this, that when she encouraged me, I made the decision to follow Jesus and it was the most important decision I've ever made in my life. Listen, maybe you brought a friend, maybe you brought a family member and um, maybe this is the moment, listen, this is the moment to turn to them and say, listen, if you want to come forward, I'll go with you. In fact, it's one of the disciples that came to Jesus. Yeah, God bless you. Come forward. God bless you. It was one of the disciples that found Jesus and he grabbed his brother and he said, I found him. I found him. God bless you. God bless you. Come forward. So you turn to your friend that this is the moment and say, if you want to come forward, I'll come forward with you. Because you don't want to let this moment pass. Blessings to you, sir. You know, I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't. I had my own track. I knew what I was going to do with my life. And he found me. I was running in the opposite direction from him. And he found me. And he saved me. And I owe him everything. And he transformed my life in ways I couldn't even possibly imagine. So I'm going to give you another... Listen, I, I never let it go this long. But if, you, if you're like, hey, just... Pastor, please, one more second. I just need to muster up some courage to stand up and come forward. This is my moment. Then listen, now's your time. Now's your time. Guys, here's what the Bible says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That listen, God, that this becomes the moment. That God actually divides between the old us and the new us. Between the life where we didn't have peace with God and the life where we do have peace with God. The life where there was conflict and turmoil and you know, headache and heartache. And then this moment where we actually become a peacemaker because the ultimate peacemaker, Jesus, made peace with us. So I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to repeat a prayer with me that, listen, I know that God will answer, that God will work, that God wants to change your life. And listen, the fact that you're here says so much about your desire to know him. And I believe God will honor that decision. I believe God will bless you for this decision. So let me pray for you if I can. Church, let's pray for this group. Father, I thank you for this group that's gathered. That are taking a step in your direction. And you promise, Lord, that if we will draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And so, Lord, I ask that as they call out to you, that you would hear from heaven, that you would answer in such a mighty way that this world would know that we've had an encounter with you. 
that you've done something amazing in us. Those of you that are come forward, if you're ready, just repeat after me out loud. Just say, Lord God, I open my heart and I invite you inside to be my God, to be my Savior, and to be my friend. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. For I've decided today to follow you, Jesus, from this day forever. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, listen.